morning. It is, it is, it is, it is. I just love worshiping Jesus, man. I've been, sometimes I rack my brain a little bit trying to figure out what to say up here today. I just want to say, I love worshiping Jesus. It's the best thing I get to do. I love singing to Jesus. I love these moments where we get to come in from all types of walks of life, all types of weeks. Some of us have had good weeks. Some of us have had bad weeks. We get to acknowledge together. It's like we sing, I see the Lord. I see what he's doing. I see how he's moving. I see how he's active. And it's so hard to see what you're not looking for. I want to invite you over these next few moments to look for Jesus' activity in your life. Look for the activity of the Lord in your life. As we worship him, acknowledge who he is.
Well, good morning, New Life Church. I have come today to tell you a story that ends really well. <laughs> and I asked you, Brian and Daniel, some of our elders are in town. Come on in. Sam Cameron here, Scott Palmer's here, one of our elders. Chris Fowler over here. These are, you welcome our elders up on the stage with me today. I blame them because a couple of years ago, they're the one that put the fire in my belly to get this debt paid. And they, they challenged me. At the time, we had like over $9 million of debt. And they were audacious enough to believe the Lord can do this if we would just ask and believe. And the building that you're sitting in today was built in 2003, 2004. And at the time, we didn't have the cash to pay for it. So we had to go to the bank. And I actually have the promissory note here from March of 2004, the actual one, where we took out the loan, 2004. And I'm, I'm going to light this on fire today. I told you we had $1.9 million of debt to pay off. Make sure that's not going to burn me there. And on Wednesday, we went down to the bank with a check and we gave it to them. And New Life North is now debt free. Come on. Thank the Lord. Some of you have confetti in your hair. Take that home. I, I, I told someone that it was not just a financial miracle that happened. It, it truly was a financial miracle, but it was a spiritual breaking of not, I know curse sounds like a strong word, but it was, it was a hindrance, a spiritual hindrance that the Lord broke off of us so that we can do what we're really called to do now. The word the Lord gave us a word over the week. We were all praying about this, talking about this. And I want to frame this moment in this way. This is not the finish line. We just actually got to the starting line. We just finally arrived at a place now that we can really run. We can really run after the things that the Lord wants us to run after. So I want to make a pledge to you. I've been here 16 years. You know, I'm a man of my word. I'm never going to talk to you again about New Life North debt ever again. Sit. I won't ever talk to you about it again. <laughs> and I, I'm kind of good, I'm kind of grateful about that. 
I just don't want to be a, I don't want to talk about it. The Lord has provided. And I just want to say thank you. The, obviously, the, the, the first and foremost praise goes to the Lord. We know that. And I, we've just been celebrating all week long with our staff, our team, just thanking the Lord. But I also want to thank you. You, you, had, you had to hear the Lord yourself. You had to hear the Lord. And I, I, I did everything I could not to manipulate or to make you feel guilty or to, I just trusted you. I trust you. I want you to know that. I love you. I trust you. And I know that when I heard the Lord, that you would hear the Lord and you would do what the Lord asked you to do. And so we, we, somebody asked me, how did that happen? Did we get some really large checks? We did, but we also got thousands of faithful gifts from people who work hard all week long and showed up with the, the best offering the Lord gave them. And I just wanna say thank you for every single person who heard the Lord, obeyed, and were able to give sacrificially. I mean that. So I will keep asking you to give, but I'm not gonna ask you to give toward debt. And so this is the time when we receive our tithes and our offerings. Let's just, can we just thank the Lord? I wanna go before the Lord today and take this moment and I, 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 this morning when I woke up, I said, Lord, I pray the day that this would build faith in our church. Not just faith for me. I pray it would build your faith. And I want you to name something that's in, that seems impossible in your life right now. I want you to name something that looks like a mountain in your life right now. And the Bible says, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, and I was just in Israel, and actually found some mustard seed. It's a really tiny seed. You can barely see it when it's in the palm of your hand. And that's what Jesus said. If you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, this small, you can say to that mountain, be moved, and it'll be moved into the, the sea. And I want you to name something right now. In this moment where we're celebrating the faithfulness of the Lord, the goodness of God, the provision of the Lord, that provision is for you. So I want you to name it. Father in heaven, we come before you today so grateful and so thankful. So privileged, Lord, We're, we feel privileged today to be in this moment with you. And Lord, we don't, well, I guess we'll never fully understand how much you love this congregation. I know you love these people, you love this, you love these people. And New Life Church 39 years ago was your idea, not mine. It was not a man's idea, it was God's idea 39 years ago. So Father, you have been faithful to us for a, a, a biblical generation, 40 years almost. You have been right here with us. And I'm asking right now that faith would rise up in the room, that faith would be stirred in the room. Whatever mountain that they're facing, people watching online right now facing a mountain. Maybe it is debt, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's a marriage, a prodigal, a business, whatever it is. I pray right now that their faith would rise, that you would stir our hearts to believe for bold and great things. And Father, today we trust you our complete and absolute hope and trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ today. And for that, we are very, very thankful. Amen, amen, amen and amen. I, uh, that's the way we give, that was the offering. I want you to turn right now, find like three or four people and give them a high five, clean up the confetti or whatever. We'll clean, no, we'll clean that up. <laughs> Encourage somebody right now, find someone.
Good morning, good morning. <laughs> My concern was that that confetti might like, be an explosion, might trigger some of you, but it was actually pretty quiet. I was actually kind of, I think it surprised me more than anything. So, <laughs> so uh, as you leave today, I, I printed out a little memento for all of you if you want it. I mean, it's a, this is a historic moment for me, for our church. This is actually the promissory note, a copy of it that I just burned. Uh, and this will fit right in your Bible. It'll, I, think, I think the reason I want you to take this home is whenever you feel discouraged about something that seems unmovable, you, you're, you're praying these bold prayers that you've been praying for years and years and years. Maybe you just pull this out and remind yourself that we've been praying for 16 years for this debt to be paid and it's done, paid in full. And I want you to, as you leave today, you can take, there'll be people out there handing them out, take these, put it in your Bible, put it up on your fridge or whatever you wanna do with it. On the back, there's a scripture that says, the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes, Psalm 118. So it's a great passage of scripture to remind you that the Lord has done this and it is marvelous to behold in our eyes. So thank the Lord for all that. Today, uh, also one more thing, I wanna remind you that our Christmas Eve services uh, happen on a Sunday this year. So that's, that's an awesome thing. So the times have changed a little bit. It's noon. 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. So let me give you a couple of heads up. The noon will be packed. The 4 p.m. will be packed, standing room only. So if you can come at two, I know that's nap time for young kids, but all, the, all of you older folks, are, maybe it's nap time for you too, I don't know. <laughs> I don't mind that. I'm, I have a PhD in napping, so I'm really well versed in that. But I just wanna give you a heads up. If you come at noon, we want you to come. Come at whatever time is best for you and your family and friends, that's fine with me. I just wanna tell you that if you come at noon or if you come at four, come early and invite someone. It's the easiest invitation you're going to make to your family and friends. All you're going, hey, you wanna come and celebrate Christmas with me at my church? We're gonna have a full orchestra on the stage. We're gonna sing carols. It's gonna be beautiful. We're gonna sing Oh Holy Night at the end. We're gonna light candles. I have a, a message that I'm gonna to bring to you. Uh, and it's just going to be a, a, about an hour, hour and five service. Uh, it's going to be beautiful. You will walk out ready to celebrate Jesus on Christmas Day, which is a Monday this year, but Christmas Eve is on Sunday. So come noon to our four, okay? That sound good? All right, turn in your Bible to James chapter one. Today is, as I said a moment ago, there's more confetti coming. We're gonna, that confetti will fall for about another year. <laughs> That's the truth, there it comes some more. So, a year, you know, sometimes next June, during the worship set, you're gonna look up and there'll be white confetti. Just remind yourself, the Lord is just reminding you he, he paid off the debt. That's a debt-free confetti, say that. That's debt-free. That confetti's been paid for. Actually, you know, what happened, I, I, I walked into the building this morning. It's the first time I've walked into this building in 16 years and it's paid for. I started pointing at stuff, that's paid for, that's paid for, that's paid for, it's all paid for. <laughs> Thank the Lord. I may, I may blow out some confetti again, that was kind of fun. I may do that one more time. All right, James chapter one. So I wanna reset something to you. I'm gonna say something that might surprise you. It surprised me when I said it out loud to myself. I don't think I've really been myself for the last 16 years in front of you. I don't think I've really been 100% Brady Boyd in front of you. Because I've always had to frame, everything I've had to frame to you has been through the lens of we have to get debt, we have to get rid of this debt, or we have to overcome this, we have to get this behind us. And actually, there you go, that, that's paid for. 
debt-free confetti. All of this, it's not that I've, I've not, it's not that I've been disingenuous to you. Everything I said, I believe in is true. But I want to, I want to tell you this, this message today is to help you understand where we're going from now on. I, I, uh, I have this deep longing in my heart and it's a, really a mandate that the Lord gave me in my early 20s to belong to a church that embodied James 1.27. So the title of this message is No Debt, Now What? And we're gonna start answering that question out of James chapter one, verse 27. If you were to ask me, Pastor Brady, what is your life verse? The verse that you want on your tombstone, I think it would be either James 1.27 or John 3.35. Your love for one another is proof to the world that you're my disciples. Or it would probably be this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. Let's just stop here for a moment because a lot I want to unpack in this passage. God is not against religion. You know, we got kind of a buzzword right now. I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual. Well, okay. But the Bible is, is pro-religion. It, it, the word has been misused, the word has been mishandled, it's been abused, and I understand all the negative connotations that come with the word religion. But in its purest form, in its most biblical form, it's actually a beautiful thing. When handled properly by good people, people who are sincere with their faith. And then he tells us what that looks like, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And there's a colon there, and he's about to identify to us the heart of the Lord. He says, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray over this passage. Father, this is so rich and good and strong. And your word is alive, it's active today, it's sharper than a double-edged sword and we give it holy permission, we give it permission today to change us, to challenge us, to correct us, to strengthen us. Lord, open our eyes to something that we're missing in our lives. Lord, we're not here today just to build ourselves up, we're actually here today to rebuild ourselves, to deconstruct ourselves and then restructure ourselves around you. Lord, I pray today that we would be confronted by our need for you, our hope for you, and our longing for your return. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. If you're okay with 10% of that, would you say amen? <laughs> now, who wrote this? The, the guy who wrote it is James, the half-brother of Jesus. So he was Joseph and Mary's son, biological son. He didn't really follow Jesus until later in life. In fact, he was kind of suspicious. Historians tell us that James, he enjoyed his brother, saw something different about his brother, but it was not until later in Jesus's life that James called him Messiah. So even you can even have trouble with your own family sometimes. Now, so Jesus understood that. He had suspicious siblings, siblings that weren't quite on board, but toward the end of Jesus's life, James caught it. And James was the first leader of the church in Jerusalem the most important, the most strategic body of Christ was the church in Jerusalem. And James was by far the unquestioned leader of that congregation. In fact, when Paul in, first, in 2 Corinthians asked the Corinthian church to give money back to Jerusalem, he was saying, listen, that, that church in Jerusalem needs your help. 
Let's give sacrificially to another congregation. James was the founder and the leader of that congregation. And one of the very first things that James instituted in the very first church was a desire to take care of widows and orphans, which was not happening in the world. So church leaders in the first 300 years of church history rebelled against the Greco-Roman culture of abandoning infants. This was a, infanticide is not new, by the way. Infanticide has been going on since the beginning of time, and that's simply, a, uh, when, when a baby was born that did not look perfect, maybe it had some kind of ab abnormalities, maybe it was born with some type of brokenness, sickness, maybe it was a girl and they wanted a boy. It was super common for girls to get discarded and the hopes for males to come, they would keep the sons and get rid of the daughters. One of the most common things is they would take them down to the river, just throw them in, drown them. And the early Christians knew that, and so they put centuries on the major tributaries. And so when a child was thrown into the water, it was the Christians. This is the true story. I'm not exaggerating this for the, actually I'm toning it down because it's really dark what I'm saying to you. I'm actually romanticizing it a bit for the sake of being able to hear it. They would actually swim out into crocodile infested waters and rescue these children. And the Christians would take responsibility to raise these children as their own. Now, as an adoptive dad of two children, it, that stirs my heart. Both of my kids are adopted. We got them both at birth, took them home from the hospital, raised them as my own. They are my own. They're my son, they're my daughter. I love the idea of adoption. I love the gospel idea of rescue. So through the early church, through the work of James in this passage of scripture, thousands of children were rescued and taken into homes and early church leaders began receiving regular offerings that were dedicated to orphans. That was mind blowing. The Romans and the Greeks had never thought of that. That was not in their ethos. It was not in their belief system. So they would even say to the Christians, let me, let me get this straight. You're going to work all day to earn money for your family, yes, you're going to take a portion of that hard-earned daily wage and set it aside to help a child that is not your own. Yes, radical, revolutionary. What an idea that we would work hard for our money, but see that it's God's money. And we would set aside some of God's money from God's people to help God's church do godly work. That was early in the life of the church. That was, that was deeply embedded into the life of James. And I'm gonna tell you at the end of this message why James had such a passion for widows and orphans. This all started because the followers of Jesus showed compassion on the widows and the elderly. So I wanna back up and tell, I think I told you this story 14 years ago, but I haven't told it in 14 years. And I, I walked out of my house without the actual thing that I'm gonna talk about today, but I still have it. When I was 22, 23 years old, I belonged to a church in Shreveport, Louisiana, and in that time, 1991, there was an article in USA Today that said that Shreveport, Louisiana and East St. Louis, Missouri were tied for the most violent communities in the US per capita. So East St. Louis and Shreveport, Louisiana were the highest crime rate, most violent two cities in America. I was living there at the time with my brand new bride named Pam. And we lived 
right in the middle of one of the darker areas of town. That's the only thing we could afford. It was not super safe, but it was not super wealthy. It was, we paid $44,000 for our first house. That's the true story. <laughs> Three bedrooms, one bath. It was terrible, but we, it was our house. So at 22 years old, I was a homeowner. $44,000 mortgage, I remember that. And my pastor at the time, I was in media. I was a, I was a reporter. I was, a, I, was in, I was on the radio doing weather and news and sports. I was out chasing police cars and doing crime reports and following the city council and school board meetings. I was a reporter. I'm, I'm, my, my degree is in journalism. So that's what I was doing. And my pastor called me one time and said, hey Brady, would you meet me at a cafe on Kings Highway, a little tiny out of the way cafe, mom and pop shop. So I said, yeah, I mean, my pastor's asking me to go to breakfast. I'm 22 years old, it's, yes. So I meet him there and he sits down and he's this wild eyed, he, at the time he was in his forties. He just had this magnetism about him. He was wild eyed about the city. He goes, Brady, did you just see that article in USA Today? I said, yeah, of course. We all were talking about it. The mo most violent city in, in America. He goes, Brady, I've met with the governor, Governor Romer at the time. And he goes, he's given me some, some dollars and some things and he's, he, he wants me to build an initiative to help this. And will you, will you run it for me? Now, it was, of course, he was asking me to volunteer. There was no money involved. He didn't pay me a dime. And I was poor already, so, but I had time. I didn't have any kids. So I said, sure. So I worked at night as a reporter from like 4 p.m. to midnight, that was my shift. So I would work until midnight, get up at eight o'clock the next morning and work all day for free for him and then go to my other job. That's why I wrote the book Addicted to Busy because it almost killed me, all right? So I, I'm not advocating for it, I'm just telling you my story. On a napkin in that cafe, I still have the napkin in my Bible at home. I'll bring it and show it to you sometimes. He wrote out four things the Lord had given him to solve the violence problem in Shreveport, Louisiana. And the number one on the list was to break down the highest crime neighborhoods where all these murders were happening. Break down those neighborhoods into 20 house segments. And then to go to our church and encourage them to adopt those 20 homes until the Lord comes back. There was no end date. It was like, you're gonna get to know these 20 families. Now for most of the white people in Shreveport, Louisiana, it's a true story, Remember, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a son of the segregated South. When I was born in 1967, white people and black people did not go to the same schools. That was the, my, that's my story. That's where I grew up in Louisiana, super racist, bigoted area of the world. And that's, that's where I was born. Most of the white people sitting in the church that I attended had never been in one of those neighborhoods. It was just, it was the other side of town. It's where all the violence was happening. So our pastor stood up to 99% white church and said, I, would, I want you to adopt 20 homes in the most violent neighborhoods in our city, and it was like cricket noises. <laughs> I'm not doing that. So Pam and I raised our hand, and a few other young couples. We, we weren't brave, we were innocent, we were naive. But we raised our hand, I said, I'll go first, I'll do it. And because it was in alphabetical order, I got assigned Abbey Street, A-B-B-E-Y. Every Saturday morning for four consecutive years, Pam and I visited the same 20 homes on Abbey Street. I was on the, in their house 150 times in four years. 
I got to know them. They became my friends. They, they, I went with them to court dates. I went with them down to the social security office. I went down to help them get food stamps. I went with them sometimes to, to meet with their attorney. But every Saturday morning at 9 a.m., we pulled up in our car, we parked on the end of the street, and we zigzagged our way up the street. Sometimes, you know, not everybody was home, and then some of the homes were abandoned. So we ended up meeting about 12 or 14 families every single Saturday, 150 times. There were some Saturdays we couldn't make it, but it was really rare that we weren't there. And I, something happened in my life during that time. I found a part of Jesus that I had never found until I got in front of the poorest people in my city. And they were all poor. They were all on government assistance. Many of them had come out of the prison systems. Every, every caricature that you can imagine was being played out in front of us. I had every reason not to go to that neighborhood. And the reason I went at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning is that was the safest time to go. In fact, around one o'clock, the neighbors would say, honey, you need to leave now. They felt unsafe because that's when all the gang guys would wake up and they said, the streets are about to get unsafe for you, sweetheart. And the little, little most of these were just elderly black women that loved me and, and you know, I'm kind of a big deal with the 90 plus crowd anyway. So I, <laughs> I've always gotten along well with elderly people and they, they say, honey, you need to leave, okay? We'll see you next Saturday, but y'all need to get on home, all right? And Pam and I would get in our car and leave. I, I, I began, it, it changed my life. And the only reason I stopped going is I moved. I moved out to Amarillo, Texas for another job and I had to leave. I, I remember that last Saturday, hugging their necks. We moved. My job took me away or I would be going there today, Abbey Street. I can still see every house. I can see every face, every family. So I'm gonna ask a question today, two questions actually, and I want you to consider these two questions with me. What does the Bible teach us about the poor and the marginalized? Does, it, does the Bible say anything about this? And what's our responsibility? Now, I, the last time I talked on this, <laughs> this the, somebody said, well, Bra Pastor Brady's gone woke. I don't even, listen, I don't even know what that means, all right? I don't, I don't, I, I don't think about those things. And I looked at me and I said, actually, I've been awakened for a really long time. Since I was 22 years old, I have been involved in trying to bridge the gap between black people and white people, poor people and rich people. This has been my whole life. So I don't know, I'm not liberal, I'm not woke, I'm not progressive, but I'm gonna talk about what the Bible talks about. Is that okay today? I, and I, I believe the scriptures say more and we've demonized these conversations in the last four or five years. You know, I, I know pastors who are afraid to even talk about this right now. And I, I just said, why would you pastor a church that you're afraid of? Tell them what the scripture says. Leave it, to, give it, put it in front of you. You let the Holy Spirit do with it what you want. That's not my responsibility is to tell you. It's not my responsibility to get you to obey. That's the Lord's work. And I trust all that. So what does the Bible say about the poor, the marginalized, the broken? What does it say? The first thing it says to do is to listen to them. Have conversations with them. Proverbs 21, verse 13, if a man shuts his ears, listen to these scriptures, these scriptures are compelling. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Right, let me stop here, just leave that up on the screen just for a moment. I don't know, I believe the Bible's true. 
And I believe the Bible is given to us by the Holy Spirit, and so it's the very breath of God coming out at us, right? Maybe the reason many of us have unanswered prayers is because we have turned away and not had conversations with poor and broken people. The Lord says, if you, because let me tell you why, this is not God being mean. This is not God saying, hey, do what I say or you're gonna get punished. He's saying, listen, if I can't trust you to do the basic stuff, this is blocking and tackling, guys. This is elementary. If I can't trust you to do the elementary things of your faith, why are you asking me for complexities? This is simple stuff. Listening to poor people is simple. It means just bodily, it means face to face. Finding, and by the way, the poor are on, in every neighborhood in the city. It's not just in certain neighborhoods. There are poor people that live in Briargate. There are poor people on my street. I know that. I can tell. I know that something's going wrong there. Something has gone awry at that house. You can tell sometimes. So if, a, if he shuts your ears to the cries, in other words, if you're not even listening, he said, you're gonna cry out one day and the Lord, you're gonna feel like you're hitting a ceiling. So I believe in hearing the voice of God, but I'm also convinced that God wants us to hear the voices of the poor. So the one couple that became an iconic couple on Abbey Street was a, a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. White. They were in their 70s when Pam and I met them, late 70s. <clears throat> he had been a deacon at his predominantly black Baptist church, which is about four blocks away. He'd been a deacon there for 50 years. He was a godly man, she was a godly woman. And they were always sitting on the porch waiting for us when we walked up. And we always got there about the same time that Mills on Wheels got there. That's how they got their breakfast and that's how they got their lunch, was Mills on Wheels two times a day, showed up and, and I fell in love with Mills on Wheels since then. That's a great organization, you should volunteer if you want. But it's a great way, by the way, to get two poor people and have conversations with them, take them food. Organizations like that are all over town begging for volunteers even today. It's really simple. And they, by the way, you're not going to be bothered when you're bringing someone lunch. And so Miss, Mrs. White, she, uh, she had trouble with her teeth a lot of times, so she would just take her dentures out and try to talk without her dentures, and it was hilarious to Pam and I. And so she would say, my breakfast is coming. She couldn't say breakfast unless she had her dentures in. So we always knew if she had her dentures in or if we were out, by the way, she said breakfast. And she would say, Meals on Wheels is bringing you my breakfast. And we would love that. And it became Pam and I a little joke in our home. We would always say, let's go eat some breakfast. Because that was our way of loving Mrs. White. Mr. White died two years after we started visiting them and left her as a, a widowed widow. And I was the only white person at their funeral they asked me to speak. He asked me and six other pastors in town to give a short message at his funeral. Pam and I, and it was probably four or 500 people packed into this little church. He was very well known and loved. And Pam and I were the only white people in the church. Pam was very easy to spot in the crowd. I was kind of a joke with her. And we, 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 it was a three hour funeral. I don't know if you've ever been to black funerals, but it was like three hours and there was food afterwards, really good food, down in the basement, all home cooked. We were there the whole morning. And it was one of the great honors if I could list the 10 funerals that have meant the most to me in my life, my dad's funeral would be number one and Mr. White's funeral would be number two. It's, it did something in my soul but it all started with not us coming with all the answers. And this is the problem with people of means and wealth sometimes. We come into those settings trying to bring solutions when the first thing we bring into those meetings is a listening ear. 
So we sat on their porch for three or four years listening to them before we ever did number two, which is respond to them. Respond. One thing to hear is another thing to put you, get into action. Listen to Proverbs 19, verse 17. He who is kind to the poor, listen to this, lends to the Lord, and the Lord will reward him for what he has done. Now, I want to go back and tell you this story. I've never told you this story. In 2012, I actually back that up a bit, 2010. I had heart surgery in 2011, had my pulmonary valve replaced, and we opened the Dream Centers that summer when I was recovering from heart surgery. But in 2010, I announced to you that we were going to open Dream Centers. I don't know if you remember that, it's 13 years ago. I stood here and said, hey, we're about to open a state-of-the-art medical clinic to take care of the poorest women in our church. As of today, we have helped 15,000 women, many of them multiple times, 15,000 different women have come to the women's clinic for state-of-the-art medical care. We, are, we have a 4D imaging machine where we're doing prenatal work right now with women on a weekly basis. It shows kids' eyelashes. I mean, it is, it is really good. You can see facial features with this, this machine that we have. It's not an exaggeration. Weekly, moms are coming in considering abortion and they're saying yes to life because we showed them the face of their baby. It's happening all the time, all the time. I remember though in 2010, I think at the time we had about 17 or $18 million of debt on this place and it was suffocating us. If you remember what happened in 2009, 2010 in our economy around here, it, it tanked and we were in a recession here and we were, our giving was down, our debt was up and the Lord took me to that scripture. He, he took me right there. Put it back up just for a moment, put the scripture back up. He said, Brady, if you'll be kind to the poor, I'll reward you. I, I quoted this scripture to you in 2010. I said this to you. And right after the service, now this, this, this guy is godly. I actually really like the guy. He's still here. And he likes me. I like him, I think. He came up to me really animated and aggravated. He said, Brady, we can't be buying stuff when we're in debt. Pay that debt down. Let's get debt free. Then we can take care of all that other stuff. I said, no, no. I quoted this, I just preached this scripture to you. I said, we're gonna do both. We're going to open dream centers and the Lord will provide for us to be debt free. The Lord will do it. You watch and see. Listen, our, our dream centers, we just took on a little bit of debt in our dream centers to buy some property, but Mary's home and the women's clinic are debt free, completely debt free. That, that fourplex next to Mary's home is completely paid for, everything's paid for. And we did that and paid off the debt because I believe that scripture. I believe you start taking care of the poor in your city, the Lord will provide. The Lord will take care of you. In fact, if you want a guaranteed return on your investment, you give to the poor and the widows and the orphans and the Lord will provide back for you whatever you need. If you will get serious. I had a young man come up to me and say, Pastor Brady, I'm having a hard time discerning the will of the Lord for my life. I said, well, until you get a visit from the angel Gabriel, until it becomes clear to you, do James 1.27. Take care of the widows, the orphans, and the poor, and keep yourself unspotted from the world, and you're gonna look up in 10 years, and you're gonna be right in the middle of God's will for your life. It's not any more complicated than that. Whenever I feel stuck, like, man, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. Find a widow. Find an orphan kid. Find someone down on their luck and help them. And keep your heart clean the whole way. 
And you'll look up and you'll be living the most satisfied, beautiful life that you've ever imagined. Because God will just give you, not what you want, but he'll give you everything you need along the way. All that you need. So we listen to them. We respond to them. And here's the third one that's the most difficult, actually, is give them a voice. Give them a voice. Proverbs 31, listen to this. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This is where we are really activated. If you want to be a protester, you want to get activated, you want to be, you, you have that inside you, this is where we actually need advocates. There's all kinds of agencies around town that are advocacy agencies. They take like a, an abused single mom. There's several organizations in town where you can come, go stand alongside an abusive single, a mom who's been abused, go with her to her court appointments, drive her to her doctor appointments, drive her to her, we need that right now at Mary's Home, by the way. We need people who will drive our Mary's Home moms to appointments. Just, they get in your car, you drive them somewhere. And guess what happens on the drive over? You give them a voice. Get to know them. You listen to them. Find out what they need. Help them. And then you look up and a year later, they've graduated, they have a job, they're out, they don't need government care anymore. They have a job, they're living, they're thriving. Why? Because someone gave them a ride. Someone let them in their car. They're not unsafe, we've already vetted them. These are not violent moms at Mary's home. These are, these are moms that have already been vetted on your behalf. And they just need an advocate. They need someone who can see the future for them, who can speak up for them. And listen, why is that important? Why is, the Bible, why is the Bible so fixated on orphans and widows? Because orphans and widows are the two groups who cannot defend themselves. They really are the most vulnerable. When wars are fought, or a drought strikes a land, widows and orphans are the first to die. That's what's happening in Gaza, that's what's happening in Israel, that's what's happening in Ukraine, that's what's happening in all the war-torn areas of the world. What happens? Widows and orphans are the ones most vulnerable. In every situation, when the economy tanks, widows and orphans are the ones who hurt the most. Every time we have a little downturn in the economy here, you know who calls us? The first calls we get from people in our church and outside the church are widows and kids that don't have a family. I remember just a couple of years ago during COVID, during the lockdown, a young college girl is going down to CSU Pueblo, down at Pueblo. She called me and said, Pastor Brady, I've gone three days without food. My parents are, can't help me, I don't, have, I don't have any family, but I found out about your food bank. I drove up to your church. They packed my car full of food. It's the first time my fridge and my freezer have been full with healthy food in days and weeks. She goes, I'll eat, this will feed me for like a month. Thank you so much. It was a college girl. My kids were in college at the time. My kids haven't missed any meals, because she was. They, need, they just need someone who cares, is all I'm saying to you. I'm not barking at you, it's just a passionate area for me. And they need an advocate. They need a voice. And the church was always created to be their voice. Let me ask you a question. This is, we all started in James, right? James, brother of Jesus. Why was James, the brother of Jesus, so animated by this? I wanna back up a notch. Now, we don't know what happened to the father of Jesus. We really don't know 
how he died or when he really died. We do know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looked at his mother and said to the apostle John, John, take care of my mom. She's now yours. And we don't hear anything about the father of Jesus in the three years that Jesus did ministry. He was gone. He had died. Jesus grew up with a single mom. And James grew up in the home of a single mother. Do you know this? Mary was a single mom of many children. Jesus grew up watching his mother as a single mom. Fast back, if you back up even further, when Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph, they were a family unit at the time, father, mother, baby. Two years after Jesus was born, Herod made a decree in the land that everyone living in Nazareth and Bethlehem, all the two-year-olds, killed, done, because he had heard about a baby being born that was a threat to his throne. And one of the great historical tragedies that is not talked about is how many infants died when Jesus was two years old. So much so that an angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, get Mary, pack up your stuff, and flee to the land of Egypt. Now, how in the world could a poor carpenter afford to uproot his family and move to a foreign land? And some people believe that Jesus lived there four or five years. Do you know that? Some people believe that Jesus, when his family was exiled, refugeed to Egypt, they were there four or five years. How did he survive? Because when Jesus was two years old, three wise men showed up at his house. You know, the wise men were not there at the birth. I, I, I know your nativity scenes are gonna get blown up today. <laughs> but if you have a nativity scene with the wise men present at the birth, that is inaccurate. It's heresy, okay? It's not, I'm joking. But they weren't there. They were not there at the birth of Jesus. They showed up two years later because they showed up at a house. It was about, two, Jesus was about two years old. Now, why did the three wise men show up at the house of Jesus when he was two years old with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Now, if it had been women, they would have shown up with diapers and casseroles. But these men, not knowing, <laughs> not knowing, showed up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Turns out the gold, frankincense, and myrrh were pretty valuable. So here's what I'm offering you to think about today. The reason that Jesus and his parents were able to survive four or five years in Egypt is right before they were exiled, somebody showed up with an offering. That gold, that frankincense, which could be sold, that myrrh, which could be sold, was the money that helped Jesus and his family survive under intense persecution. You fast forward, James is born later. The brother of Jesus was born. We don't know where exactly James was born. I could do some research on that. James has told that story. We survived Egypt, James, because some men showed up one time with a gift. And then James, later in his life, loses his father. And for the entirety of James's life, he watches the goodness of the Lord come to his mother. Every time Mary needed something, every time Mary needed something, the Lord provided. So in James chapter one, when he's looking at the church, he said, pure religion, 
that's undefiled before God and the Father is this. You take care of a widow, you take care of the orphans. Keep your heart clean. And you'll look, look up one day and you'll be living your best life. Everything's gonna work out for you if you make that serious. So New Life Church, this is where we're going from now on. This is, you're gonna hear me talk about this a lot. From this day forward, when I ask you for giving, for special offerings, it's not to pay down a banknote. It's to take care of the widows, the orphans, and the poor. I, I'll make a pledge to you that I'll, I'm gonna put in front of you opportunity after opportunity to take care of our city, and we're gonna do it together. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand up with me. I appreciate you let me tell you the story. I know there's a lot of stories today, but I just been thinking, this is the stories I've been thinking about all week long, about myself, about our church, about our city. And I wanna pray over you right now. There's, there's single moms in the room today, single dads. Sometimes we say single moms and I have single dads say, hey, it's tough on us too, absolutely. If you're a single parent, it's tough on you. So you're not, you're not you're, you're included in this prayer that we're about to pray, single parents. There are some grandparents in the room who are raising your grandkids. I know you, I know who you are, and I, I wanna pray for you as well, that's difficult. It's tough. So let's pray for each other right now. Father in heaven, we ask that you would come and give us eyes to see. I pray we would listen to the cries of the poor. I pray we would respond to the cries of the poor. And I pray we would give them a voice. I pray in Jesus' name that you would come and do holy work in us right now. I pray for marriages in the room that you would do holy work in their lives, every life, every marriage, every home. I pray today for single moms and dads, grandparents raising their children. I pray you'd give them strength, joy, wisdom, discernment. I pray, Lord, that you would come and do holy work in students right now, college students, high school students, junior high, elementary. I pray right now you'd meet them and encourage them. I pray you'd take away their anxiety. Fill them with inexpressible strength and joy, a hope for the future. And we pray right now for the conflict in Gaza between the Jewish people, the Israel people, Lord, and the people of Gaza. We pray for the Prince of Peace to come. We pray for the evil to be eradicated, that, that widows and orphans, the elderly would be protected, divinely protected on both sides of that conflict. Lord, we pray right now for the peace that passes all understanding to guard all of our hearts and all of our minds. And we come to the table of the Lord today because we believe in the hope of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you serve at the table of the Lord, would you come right now? This is how we end most of our gatherings. The songs may not be good, the preacher may be average, but that's not the issue. <laughs> the issue is, did we worship the person of Jesus? Did we recognize and give thanks for who Jesus is and what he does for our lives? So I'm inviting you right now, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is Jesus Lord of your life? If your life is surrendered to him, you don't have to be, this is not for perfect people, it's for forgiven people. And I want you to step out right now, come and take the cup and take the bread, go back to your seat, and in just a few minutes, Pastor Daniel will lead us to the table of the Lord. Come, come to the table this morning. I search the world 
Church, can you get your communion elements and be ready to receive? Let me tell you one of the dangers that we have to pay attention to in a moment like this after hearing a word like this. Very often, if we're not careful, we can start thinking of ourselves as little messiahs. Oh, bless their hearts. We're gonna go take care of them. We are the, we're, when we come to the table of the Lord, what we're saying is Jesus is the one that gives bread to the world. Jesus is our provider. Jesus forgives us. Jesus cleanses us. Jesus fills us with his spirit so that we can go out. But we're not going out to do, oh, bless their heart charity work. We're going out to carry the spirit of Jesus who gives and who gives and who gives. And we go out to dignify like Jesus dignifies people and raises them up. We go out not to condescend with our charity. We go out to be a blessing in the spirit of Jesus. And so when we come to the table of the Lord today, we're saying that Jesus started it. Jesus is the provider. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the generous one, and he's filling us with his spirit so that we can go be like him in the world. Can you say amen today, church? And so as you hold that bread, I want you to think of yourself as the needy one today. You need the blessing of Jesus. You need the life of Jesus. You need the restoration of Jesus. You need his provision. Jesus, we are here to say we need you. Can you begin to call on the name of Jesus today? Root yourself in under his lordship. Root yourself under his life. Jesus, you are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the powerful one. You are the provider. Jesus, today, we receive your nourishment and your strength. Friends, you can receive the bread. What about the forgiveness? What about the fresh start? What about the new horizon? Jesus is constantly calling us into a new future that he's created for us. And he says, this is my body, my blood, which is shed for you. And it's shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you do this, remember that you've got newness. And so today I say to you, if any person be in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And today, Sunday, December 10th, it's a fresh start. Let's go. Let's receive his grace. Let's receive his forgiveness. Jesus has forgiven you. Let's drink up. Come on, church, let's worship.
Church, today I will remember this day as a day where together by the power of the Spirit, we made history together. The church here at New Life North, we're debt free. We praise God for that. And would you open your hands now to receive the blessing? Pastor Brady said it at the offering time. Whatever mountain you're facing, we speak to it and we say, be moved and be cast into the sea in Jesus name. We pray for God's miraculous provision to be released in this house. Let everything you touch prosper. That's what Psalm one says is the inheritance of the righteous. So I pray today, may the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you shalom today. Peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, can we give God thanks for all he's done here today? Couple things. If you're new, we would love to see you at Connect Central in the lobby. And our prayer team is coming down front. If you have any prayer needs, let us agree with you in prayer. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.